Right. Hebrews 3, 7 to 19. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved for forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcass fell in the wilderness? Not verse 18. No, go through 19. And to whom swore that he and to whom swore he that they should not enter into his rest, but to him that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Okay, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. As we continue our journey through Hebrews, uh, we have a very powerful and a very practical text this morning. And just a little heads up, this will be our last study in Hebrews for a couple of months. We're taking a break in June and July to do a summer series. The summer series we're going to do this summer is on prayer, so we'll begin that next Sunday. But as we are here in Hebrews chapter 3, it opens with a direct quote from Psalms 95. Starting in verse 7, he says, therefore, there's the word therefore that Eric talked about last Sunday again, explaining, expounding upon the previous thought. And in this case, in light of Jesus being better than Moses, the one who led the children of Israel out of the promised land, as we, as Eric also mentioned last Sunday, are in the midst of that in our Sunday school lesson. We didn't plan that. God did. But as we study Hebrews As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, now I'm sure you've noticed as we're just barely, where we're now finishing the third chapter of Hebrews, that the writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament scriptures quite often, quite frequently. And the author here attributes this quote directly to the Holy Spirit. Again, as if we as believers need any more affirmation that the scripture that we hold so dear is, in fact, the inspired word of God. The Old Testament is a part of that inspired word of God, and it is important. The lessons, the truths, the prophecies, the powerful messages that are there are important to us as believers. I stress that this morning Because on a side note, there are those who are trying to lessen that importance today. Those who have very broad influence in their pulpits, in their ministries, 
who are trying to lessen the importance or deny the importance of the Old Testament. We believe in Scripture in its entirety, from Genesis through Revelation, and the authority and the truth that is contained within it. They have primarily tried to dismiss the Old Testament because of the fact that it calls us to obedience. No, we're not under the old law anymore, but Jesus came to fulfill that law. Meaning that obedience is still key, not to oppress us, not to crush us, but to bring us more and more in the image of Christ. And the Old Testament is crucial in that understanding and that study. The first part of Psalms 95 calls God's people to worship him. The second part that is quoted here warns us worshipers can only worship God if they are not rebelling against him. We can only truly worship God if we are not in rebellion. The author in this text is going to break it down into three sections once again. We're going to look at the condition, the condition of the children of Israel. We're going to look at the warning and in one way a tool that the author gives us. And finally, the why. Why is it important to do, to, to guard our hearts, to be aware of the potential that our hearts could be hardened? Why is that important? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for this power. We thank you for this provision, Lord. God, I pray for your spirit to guide us this morning in this truth. Help us, Lord, to examine our hearts, to guard our hearts, to lay our hearts bare before you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 8, the author gets directly to the condition. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Well, first of all, what is a hard heart? Obviously, we're not talking about just a physically hard heart. This is metaphorical. So what, what is a hard heart? It's when the conscience is seared, unable to sense right and wrong. When there's no interest in the truth of God. When suffering doesn't provoke worship of God. And when there's no interest in the appeals of friends and loved ones to such. Basically, a refusal to listen to the voice of God no matter how it comes, causes the hardening of one's heart. Those who resist the appeals of God are choosing to harden their hearts. They do this by turning towards sin and away from God. And by direct resistance of the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit and directly choosing to disobey and resist it. In the case of the children of Israel, they did this, it says, on the day of testing. Here, the day of testing, it, it's meaning a period of time and not just a single day. Verse 9, he says, Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, years. They put God to the test by testing his patience. They rebelled against him. 
It does not mean that they tempted him to do evil, but but that his long-suffering was tried by their sinfulness. They demanded bread to eat. They demanded water. They made a golden calf. They demanded meat. And finally, when the ten spies gave the bad report, they refused to go up into Canaan. Verse 10, therefore, there's that word again. As a result of the rebellion, I was provoked with that generation and said, and again, from Psalms 95, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. The generation of the children of Israel who had left Egypt had witnessed amazing miracles. They'd seen the ten plagues. They'd seen the deliverance, the Red Sea. They'd seen all of this. Incredible miracles. Yet they had lost faith in God. If they had went directly from Egypt to Canaan, averaging about six miles per day, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're thinking of a million people moving the way they were moving, six miles a day would be quite a bit, especially on foot. The journey would have taken maybe three months. That wouldn't have been much fun in itself in the way they had to move. But they could have gotten from Egypt to Canaan in in about three months. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 2, the scripture says, and this is Moses speaking, he says, it is 11 days journey from Horem to, by the way of Mount Zen, Kadesh Barnea. The first mountain is Mount Sinai, where they Sinai, where they received the Ten Commandments. To get from there to Kadesh Barnea, which is the southern border of Israel, of the land of Canaan. It was eleven days of travel, is what Moses was saying. Now this would have been about a month and a half or so, or two months journey into their journey by the time they were at Sinai. So they were that close. They were poised. They were right there, prepared, physically able to enter the promised land. But they became afraid of the spies' report of walled cities and giant men. And at that point, they rebelled, hardening their hearts, refusing to trust that God would give them the land that he had promised them, even though he had miraculously rescued them from Egypt and had provided all of their needs, they disobeyed him. Not only at that point, but throughout the 40 years that would follow of the wandering in the wilderness, he continued to do miracles on their behalf. They continued to harden their hearts against him. The original readers of this letter to the Hebrews were at a point of decision themselves. They, the author knew that they were on the verge of abandoning Christ and returning to Judaism, of refusing their promised land. And by using the example of their ancestors, he reminded them of the consequences of the hardening of their hearts against God. 
Hard hearts can be the result of disobedience, rebellion, lack of trust, neglect of worship, refusal to submit, and ungratefulness for what God has done for us. God does not look away from sin. He acts against it and ultimately punishes it. God said here in the text this morning, I was provoked with that generation. God grew angry because the people's hearts turned away from him. They continually turned away from God in their actions, attitudes, thoughts, and beliefs. If the hearts of the people had honored God, they would have trusted God and entered the promised land. But their rebellion led to punishment. Verse 11. And as a result, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now God's rest has several meanings in Scripture. The seventh day of creation and the weekly Sabbath that remembers it. The promised land of Canaan mentioned here as a type of rest. And the peace of God available to us now as believers, as we live and as we breathe, that is mentioned as rest in Scripture because of our relationship with Christ through faith. And finally, another rest is defined as our future, future eternal life with Christ. All of these meanings were probably familiar to the Jewish readers of this letter. Verse 12, the author then, tra then transitions from this defining of the condition, from identifying the condition to giving them a warning. He says, take care, brothers. This will be you. Take care, brothers and sisters. This will be you. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. The readers of this letter had not yet rebelled or drifted away from Christ, but they were in danger of acting just like Israel. The Israelites, who had, as we have mentioned, had seen great miracles from God, had fallen away from Him. Christians must be alert not to fall in the same trap of the enemy. No Christian is immune from turning away from or rejecting God. As Josh told us at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2, sometimes people gradually drift. As in our text today, sometimes they blatantly rebel. We are called to examine our lives and even an unbelieving heart. An evil and unbelieving heart leads to only one result. It causes a person to turn away from the one true living God as demonstrated by the Israelites. Hard hearts can cause rebellion. Hearts that have Hardened against God will cause rebellion against God.
Turning away from Christianity is more than turning away from a system of beliefs or a set of doctrines. It means turning away from God. Verse 13, the author reminds us of a powerful tool because it is important that we are constantly testing our hearts, checking our hearts for sensitivity to the things of God, testing our hearts. In verse 13, the tool the author reminds us of, he says, but, re, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Believers should continually remind each other to turn away from sin. We are commanded of that throughout Scripture. Galatians 6, verse 1. Come alongside of each other. Exhort each other. To help each other stay focused on Christ. God has designed us to need each other. Christians need each other. So that we don't become deceived by sin by Satan, and hardened against God. As a church body, we have an opportunity to protect against sin's deceitfulness by first checking our personal motives and desires against those of fellow believers. That's what the author is talking about here. Use the relationships that we have. If you don't have someone in your life who you know will stand up to you and say, hey, what you're doing here is not right. You need to find that person. You need to be prepared to open yourself up to that person. Someone who's going to tell you you shouldn't be going out and getting drunk every weekend. Someone who's going to tell you you shouldn't have that inappropriate relationship with someone who is not your spouse. Someone who's going to tell you that you shouldn't be cheating on the time clock at work. Someone who's going to ask you if you're reading your Bible, if you're studying the Word. Someone who's going to ask you, why weren't you at church Sunday? You need, we need those people in our lives. Second, not just to check ourselves against others, but then as a body, we need to check our motives, the, our church motives and desires, our, our church family motives and desires against those of the Word of God. You need to be asking me, you need to be asking anyone who is presenting the Word of God who's teaching. I didn't understand this, or I'm not sure about that, or where did you get that from? Or there, I, I think I noted maybe a selfish motive in that. We need to be constantly exhorting each other, not for the purpose of tearing each other down and for the feeling of having a, a one-up on somebody, but for the purpose of honoring and glorifying God and helping each other to prevent the hardening of our hearts, to help to prevent that, to provide the tools to keep ourselves and each other accountable. That's what the author is calling us to. I pray that that's why you come to church here 
on Sunday mornings. I pray that's why you participate in other things that we offer. Chad shared statistics this morning. I pray that the, that the percentage of genuine Christians is far higher than 10%. Not for the glory of Providence Mennonite Church, but for the state of the souls of those who are hearing my voice and for the glory of God. I pray that you are resisting any temptation to conceal things, any temptation to avoid confrontation, and that you are praying and that you are walking with a desire to be an open book, to be sanctified, to be set apart, for your heart to continue to grow and to be, to be softened and to mature in the faith, to seek sound teaching. And to hold each other accountable. I pray that's why you are here this morning. I pray that that's why you are a part of this church and you're not just here to check off a box. That's why we as a church seek to bring sound teaching and pro provide opportunities to build relationships and learn together. That's why we have men's and women's Bible studies that we offer. That's why we offer Sunday school immediately following this service. That's why we're here worshiping together. That's why I'm bringing this message this morning. Not for my glory, but to bring truth, to bring opportunities for everyone to first get that new heart. Second, to grow that heart, to mature that heart, to sanctify that heart. For this to be successful, we cannot... Make excuses for our friends. When we are called to hold each other accountable, we cannot make excuses for our friends. Well, yeah, so-and-so's doing this, but this is why. We can't do that. We can't make excuses for our family. We can't be afraid that our children or our grandchildren won't love us if we call them out on their sinfulness. We can't live like that. If we see a fellow believer acting in sin... We must call them to obedience for their good and for God's glory. If our hearts are right, then our desire is to share in Christ. Verse 14. And when we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, if indeed... We come to the, if indeed we hold it to the end, then we were saved. We came, did indeed come to that saving knowledge of Christ. Faith is a journey. You see, when we make that profession, when we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, there is a journey that starts then in this life, and it goes until we take our last breath. A journey of proving, a journey of testing, a journey of growing. Believers will be and must be faithful to the end of that journey. They will be. True believers will be faithful to the end or they will be exposed. Trials will come throughout our lives to test that belief. The author was concerned that the faith of some of these Hebrew Christians was failing. The point of this text was to exhort them to true faithfulness. Through unfaithfulness and rebellion, the Israelites had lost God's blessings. Verse 15, 
The author emphasizes why. Why did they lose his blessing? As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The Israelites, when they rebelled in the wilderness, did not trust God, nor were they faithful to the end. Christians must be. Today, this is today, the verse says today. That means don't wait until tomorrow. Today, be faithful. Don't put it off. Then starting in verse 16, going through 18, the author says, For who were those who heard but yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? They had every opportunity. God had miraculously delivered them. He had miraculously cared for them. Yet they had rebelliously disobeyed him over and over again. Those statements could be made of the church today. No, we've not seen manna from heaven. We've not seen the Red Sea parted in front of us. But God has miraculously provided for us. And yet the church turns its back on him and puts its faith in the things of this world. Why? Verse 19, the author says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They wandered. They suffered. They did not enter the promised land because they did not believe. Like the Israelites, the problem in our world today is unbelief. When we look at the turmoil that until the pressure got higher in the last few decades, looked like it was outside of the church. But it's being exposed within the church, proving the statistics that Chad shared this morning. When that pressure comes, that we don't, when I say we, I don't mean me, I don't mean you who are genuine believers, but I mean we, the greater church that is fracturing and splintering and, and lining up with the world and dismissing the Old Testament and calling things okay that are openly sin. We're allowing those things. We're making excuses for those things. And we're not believing that God is who He is. Belief in God, true belief, comes from our hearts. We are born with the same heart condition as the nation of Israel. A hard heart that cannot believe. We need new hearts. We cannot get those new hearts on our own. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 26. God said, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God sent his son, his only son, to live, to die, and to be resurrected, to give us that new heart. By faith in what he has done, and like the nation of Israel, we have trials. We have suffering to bring us to a point of decision. The decision to receive those new hearts. To receive Jesus as our Savior. And once we have received those new hearts, to allow our flesh to be sanctified through them. If the children of Israel had accepted God's gifts in less than three months, they would have entered the promised land. They were there. They were on the border. The spies walked in the land. But instead, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years because they as a nation did not believe that God would give it to them. <coughs> and they died never seeing the promised land. Our promised land today as believers is eternity with Christ. Our promised land is eternity in fellowship with the God who created us. Satan is using the things that this world has to offer to deceive us, to distract us from believing, from receiving the new heart that God is offering us, and from walking in his rest after we have received it. I pray that you have received that new heart this morning. Out of that new heart will come obedience. God told us that in Ezekiel. It will be a process. For myself, and I've shared this story before, but it's, it's pertinent to share it here again. As a young man, dealing with my blindness, dealing with my sinfulness in the frame of that blindness, I was a wreck. I was emotional. I was self-centered. Everything that I faced, I was a victim in my mind. I, shared, I shed a lot of tears. I blamed a lot of other people for mistreating me. But when I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, my heart changed. I, didn't, I no longer had that victim mentality. Woe is me. Poor me. I had a peace I had a whole new perspective on facing life with my blindness challenge and all the other challenges that life had. Praise God, he gave me that heart. I was a new person, but I was not perfect. I am not perfect. I've shared before also that after I came to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I struggled with selfishness, with food, so foolish. I, I struggled with lust, with drunkenness, with greed, with pride. I am still being sanctified today. By the grace of God, He has torn most of those things away from me, cleansed me from them. Praise Him for that. When I got my new heart, I had this deep, inner desire to obey the commands of God. 
I didn't always do it well. I didn't always do it very good at all. But I had a deep inner desire that was tugging at me for that. But my flesh still had to be dealt with. And by the grace of God, I am eagerly anticipating the promised land of eternity with Jesus Christ because he gave me that new heart. I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ by his grace. But in the meantime, I'm being sanctified. And until then, God has used many little promised lands to sanctify me, to bring things out of my new heart, through my flesh, through my sinful, wretched flesh. He gave me a desire for a wife, one of those, quote unquote, little promised lands. He gave me an amazing wife. But he kept her from me until I got over myself. Until he knew there were some things in my life that I had to deal with before I could receive that promised land. Not to punish me, but to sanctify me. My career, my friends, my love of food, no matter how big or how ridiculous, God used every promised land to bring me closer to him. You see, I think that's where we come short. We have this destination mentality. The children of Israel had that destination mentality until they were on the doorstep and then they didn't believe God would give that to them. But we have to understand that in our lives, our journey to eternity, this lineal time that we live in, our journey to those little promised lands, whatever they are in your heart, the journey is just as important, just as necessary, just as beautiful as the destination just as beautiful as the arrival at the promised land, whatever it is. Stop looking past the journey and look to glorify God, to invite God to sanctify you in the midst of the journey, wherever you're going. The longer I grumbled on my journeys, the longer I fussed, the longer I complained, the longer I blamed others, the longer I made excuses, the longer I disobeyed, the longer God lovingly delayed each of the little promised lands in my life. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel here this morning. I'm not promising you that if you do everything perfectly, that you will get everything that you desire in this life. I've often shared my story about my wife and, and the waiting and anticipating that and the way God dealt with me. And I always share, I can't promise you that if you get all of the lustfulness out of your life or whatever you're dealing with, that God will then give you a wife. I can't promise you that. But I do promise you that when you walk in obedience, despite your circumstances, you will find rest. When you walk in obedience to God, despite your circumstances, you will find rest. I'm still walking personally in the wilderness towards some promised lands, just like each and every one of you. A big one is still my blindness. I wake up with it every morning. And as I walk that journey, I am blessed to be surrounded by fellow believers to keep me growing. 
I am blessed to have the truths of the scriptures to nurture my hope. My hope in the ultimate promised land. The promised land of eternity with Christ. But every time in the midst of that particular promised land journey of my blindness, every time I find myself upset or anxious, outside of rest as God promises it, I don't have to look very deep within myself to find disobedience or lack of faith, a lack of trust, a focus on selfishness or self-pity. When I find myself out of God's rest, those things are easy to find, easy to identify. The struggle is owning them, confessing them, laying them down. It's all part of the journey, all part of the process. Do you have the hope of eternity with Christ? What little promised lands has God given you in preparation for the ultimate promised land? What little promised lands are you still walking toward in this life? What are you learning as you walk those journeys? I pray that you are looking for God. I pray that you are embracing the journey and you're not trying to just jump ahead to the promised land. I pray that you are prayerfully seeking God's spirit. I pray that you are embracing the relationships of believers that he has given you to open yourself up to be honest. I pray that as things are exposed to you, that you are confessing them first to yourself, to God and to others who can help you overcome them. Because as you lay down your disobedience, as you lay down your sinfulness, you will find rest even in the turmoil, the wretchedness, the scariness of this life. And as you grow and more in obedience and you draw nearer and nearer to that beautiful rest, that you are bringing others with you into the kingdom, that you're bringing others with you in your journey to your little promised lands and to the ultimate promised land of eternity with the God who created you. I pray that you are seeking to soften your heart, that you have received that new heart, that you are allowing that new heart to permeate out through your flesh, to sanctify you, to purge you, that that heart is not being hardened, that your conscience is not being seared, but you are growing in faithfulness. You are growing in obedience. God has provided. God will continue to provide. And he will give you rest despite the circumstances, the difficult circumstances that you are facing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your provision. I thank you for the new hearts that you give us through the incredible sacrifice of your son, his life, death, and his resurrection, Lord. May we walk in belief and trust of that provision. May we walk in faithfulness the journeys of this life, anticipating eternity with you, but then as we hit milestones and opportunities in this life, that we are allowing the journeys to teach us, to sanctify us, the struggles, the trials, the blessings, whatever you bring us to sanctify us, to bring us closer to you. God, may we in honesty be laying down our sinfulness, confessing them openly, 
dealing with them, laying them down, allowing the blood of the cross to cleanse us from our wretchedness, Lord, as we draw nearer to you, as we walk in your truth, as our hearts are softened, as we seek to honor you and live and walk in your rest, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.